BakerBots LLP provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice. This communication may constitute attorney advertising. Welcome to the Environmental Evolutions Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of environmental law and policy. I'm your host, Megan Burge, coming to you from my closet in Joshua Tree, California. In today's episode, I am speaking with my amazing partners, Nadir Clark from our Washington, D.C. office and Lily Chin from our San Francisco office, about how companies can begin to get their arms around incorporating environmental justice considerations in their operations and programs. One particularly challenging aspect of environmental justice is that there's no one statute or regulatory programs that lays out all of your requirements in one place. You can't just open it up and look at it and say, okay, I need to do an X statute implementation program. It's daunting. But that's why I have Lillian Nadira. I asked them to join me today because they have some real live and most importantly, practical advice for companies. They, along with a few others here at BakerBots, have put together a framework that companies can use to review their current operations and develop an EJ plan. So essentially taking something that is huge and daunting and figuring out how to make it manageable. Lily Nadira, thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited you're here. Thanks, Megan. Happy to be here to talk with you. Thank you, Megan. We're so happy to be here. <laughs> All right, ladies. So let's start off. What is the Acellus framework? Sure. So Acellus, is an acronym that, that one of our colleagues, Ann Carpenter, developed when we were working on through this issue with a company to really easily identify the steps the company should think about when addressing environmental justice issues. So A stands for acknowledge, C stands for commit, E stands for engage, L stands for learn, A stands for act, and F stands for share. We're going to talk about each of these aspects on today's podcast, but we also have a video series that goes in depth for each of those letters to give you a bit more information if you're interested. And those will be in the podcast notes. Thanks so much, Lily. What is the purpose of the Acellus framework? Why did you do all of this? So as you so nicely set out in your intro, I think one of the things that is really challenging about environmental justice is that there isn't one place to look and it's constantly changing. You know, it, it was born out of the civil rights movement and the environmental movement in the 70s and involved in the 80s to really focus on the intersection of race and environmental issues. And so as a more of a social movement than an environmental regulatory movement, you need to consider both aspects. So that was one of the reasons. How can we create a structural framework to help companies get their arms around how you would start addressing this in your operations. So all of these concepts are coming to a head now and really helping companies address that risk and uh, mitigate that is one of the way, one of the reasons why we created a seller to break it down and make it easier. Thank you for putting that in a great context, Lily. Okay. So that is the why you came up with a cellist. How did you come up with a cellist? So how we came up with a cellist was actually through working with one of our clients. Um, we were working with a Fortune 50 company that we've done a variety of work uh, for. The company wanted to revisit its environmental justice program 
And we developed the cellist actually working with that company to start to think about how it could change its existing program to make it more responsive to the current administration's focus. And you know, the work that we did, we realized sort of had application for many companies. So we pulled back and sort of thought about the framework that we had developed um, in connection with working with this company and tried to create a framework that might help any company who was starting to think about how to um, either develop a new environmental justice program or recalibrate or update its environmental justice program. Well, how does Ocellus help companies? I think what's really helpful is that, you know, a lot of in-house counsel that we've talked to, when they hear environmental justice, they just kind of mentally shut down. They don't know how to deal with it. It seems such like a huge issue and so sensitive because it involves, you know, racial racial and social overtones and, and people are very sensitive to that, especially today. And they don't really know how to approach it. Um, but on the other hand, as Nadira said previously, a lot of companies are very active in the community. And Sunflight communities are, are one of the communities that are typically overburdened communities or considered, a lot of them are considered EJ communities. And, you know, they've been working with the community group, with the employees who live in the area. So there's a lot of work they're already doing, but it, it, it deals with equity. It deals with impact. But it's just a question of how you frame it for the public internally for your employees. And so a lot of that is like, as Nadira said, slight tweaks to your messaging and how you do that. But it can really be it's a lot of what the company is already doing. And I think it's important to think about, Lily has talked about this to a degree, but it really is important to think about why is environmental justice sort of so confounding sometimes for companies to approach. I don't think it's that, as Lily has said, I don't think it's that a company is necessarily adverse to the idea or resistant to the idea. I think what happens is, is it's just a difficult topic. It's a loaded topic oftentimes to address, and it's just it's amorphous to a degree. And so part of what we wanted to do in setting up a cellist was create a framework that sort of structured or helped companies figure out how to approach this topic, provide them a more structured, systematic way to think about it and have the conversations that are necessary to consider how they want to, how each company wants to address environmental justice. I mean, we know that when you talk about environmental justice, people oftentimes immediately think of, well, does that mean environmental racism? Are we saying that the company has previously been sort of discriminatory in its actions? And no, not at all. We're not necessarily saying that. But those are the kinds of feelings that come up around this topic. And so we realized that it was helpful to provide a structure and a systematic way of thinking about the topic and sort of engaging in conversations at each level of the company and reviewing a company's priorities and operations with this topic in mind. And just building off of what Madera said, a couple sort of practical things we found from the clients we've talked to is that oftentimes the, the people who internally handle community relations, you know, like more of the PR, comms part of the organization, 
are not necessarily integrated with the folks that handle the EHS operations, the environmental issues. Um, and so environmental justice really is an intersection of those two kind of departments of a company or groups of a company and providing a framework to allow that to intersect and discuss these issues and understand how both of their areas impact environmental justice and then come up with a plan for external public communications is really important. And so that's one of the ways you can see how this topic kind of bridges a lot of different areas in a company and sometimes they need help identifying how to bridge that gap. What should companies be thinking about practically in applying this framework? There's a variety of things that a company should be thinking about. I think one of them, an important one, is the idea that risk has to be considered in another way. So we have to measure risk in terms of what the current climate is. And we need to understand sort of what the administration focuses on environmental justice, what sort of community activist groups are focused in environmental justice, how that has shifted over time, how the laws are being enforced accordingly, and what that means in terms of risk. You know, that is one area that um, SLS is designed to address, um, and it's one of the more important ones. That's a really great point, Nadira. Lily, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that there are really practical ways that you can kind of help identify your current risk. And that's one of the things we've been working with companies on is really so they understand where they are as a baseline, because that's the first step into and to really identify how to mitigate risk. There's a variety of tools that are really already available on the federal, state, and local level um, that map a number of environmental and demographic data on top of each other. The federal tool is called EJ Screen, which is created by EPA. We will have links in the episode notes to all of these mapping tools, so you can click through and look at that. Screen is interesting because it includes all of the census data, but the census data is actually trailing the current data. So one of the important things to think about when you're looking at this data is the dates for the data that are included in there. It may not be totally up to date. So you're going to have to factor that in when you're looking at your risk. But it does provide my census track and demographic data, income data, you know, racial data on top of a variety of different environmental data that's reported through federal statutes. California has a similar mapping tool Calenviroscreen, which actually provides a cumulative analysis and a variety of states and other even cities, counties have their own mapping tools that they're using for this purpose. So that is one practical way you can get started right away. Look at where your facilities operations are. Look at what the impacts are according to these mapping tools to give you a sense of the baseline. Part of what Acellus does is it helps companies rethink what communication means and how to approach it. So part of the environmental justice movement has historically been about sort of miscommunication or companies and communities being out of alignment or speaking in different terminology. And, you know, over the course of environmental justice and the movement, we've received a lot of feedback from communities about areas where they feel cut out of communication, disregarded or spoken down to. And so part of the Acela framework is not to dictate to companies how to speak, 
about these topics, but to open up discussions within the company, taking advantage of feedback even from employees about how to speak to the community, what are areas that the community wants to hear about, and sort of opening up and being willing to engage on those topics, even if you don't have a perfect answer. You know, historically, what companies have done has sort of gone through many companies. They've gone through and sort of selected what they're willing to talk about. And if a topic is too controversial or they don't have an easy answer, they just choose not to talk about it. And I think in this climate, with the focus that the administration has, with the community groups having more and more funding and having a more active voice, it's important to learn how to speak about topics that may be controversial and have answers for the community that may not be exactly what they want to hear, but that show that you're willing to engage and you're willing to at least sort of have their input in the process. You know, with Nadira, I actually had a client a few years ago where they had unfortunately had a situation that was really bad. So they were in a reactionary position, but they went out and they adjusted um, in order to not end up in that situation again. And part of that was bringing on this person whose job was to really engage with the community. And so his number one skill, as he said, was listening. I think that's exactly right. And it's, it's listening and it's providing, you know, giving communities the courtesy of providing information, explaining your rationale, and being open to the idea that you may do something different. You may not go as far as you're being asked to, right? You may not relocate your facility. You may continue with the operation that you have in mind or the, you know, the next project that you have in mind. But perhaps there are tweaks that you either have already been making that, you know, and changes and, and modifications that the community needs to know about that they wouldn't otherwise know about. Or there are things that you may be able to do differently that make it at least sort of more acceptable or enhances your relationship with the community such that they know that their voice is being heard, even if they are not able to dictate precisely what the company wants to do. There's been a, a series of memos issued by EPA on civil and criminal enforcement in relation to environmental justice issues. They're going to focus enforcement in these overburdened communities. And they are going to reach out to the communities in various ways to really understand their concerns, their issues, when considering enforcement and how to resolve enforcement issues or permitting issues, in, in fact. So, you know, the government itself is engaging communities more significantly, asking them what their interests are with respect to operations or enforcement, asking how they are harmed. Um, you know, and what things can be done to mitigate their harm from environmental violations. And, you know, Lily, that's a great point, because as you know, here in California, California and the federal government actually entered a memorandum of understanding to do exactly what you're talking about, which is to go out and engage with communities, things like doing training, also providing opportunities for citizen science and opportunities for them to have a say in how enforcement's done. And I actually think that's a game changer. Yeah, the level of involvement um, and engagement with them is unprecedented in terms of the approach to environmental enforcement, both on the state and, and federal level. And 
the, the MOU is really just an, an example of sort of what's been happening in this space kind of nationwide. I think a lot of states are taking this approach as well. But these communities want to be heard and they want their concerns to be addressed. Like, you know, is it going to be 100% addressed? Probably not likely, but there's certainly compromises that can be made that, you know, will address their concerns but allow companies to continue to operate. And I think part of the framework is in helping companies understand or at least be able to assess what value there is or isn't in engaging, you know, in, in providing that kind of information and facilitating those kind of communications and being responsive, right? I mean, there's just, it's not just about doing it because it's the right thing. The question is, is there value to the company from a risk perspective, from a sort of uh, reputational perspective in engaging in these kinds of um, conversations or providing data that would facilitate these kinds of conversations or having that kind of outreach. Is there value in that? Does that in some ways mitigate risk in other areas or does it not? And it's not, the itself is not designed to focus, you know, to force a company down a certain path, but to have companies allow people to have the conversations to assess that risk and realize that whatever risk assessment they were doing or however they viewed the value of engaging in these kind of communications with, with you know, fence-line communities, et cetera, whatever those were before are different now because those communities now have a bigger voice and they have more resources and they have more leverage. And so in light of that, do you want to make some changes or not? Is there value to making changes? And just having, as we said at the top of this program, is having kind of a systematic way or an organized way of walking through those conversations and considerations. So we've talked so much about what companies should be doing in terms of risk assessment. And when you think about it, that's sort of your resting heartbeat or your marathon approach to implementing a long-term strategy. But the fact is there are going to be acute situations and possibly even before you have that long-term strategy. So do you have any thoughts that you can share with listeners on that front? Definitely. I can start first, and I'm sure Lily has some ideas as well. You know, I think when you're dealing with a more critical situation, you have to have you know, first of all, you're taking advantage of your existing crisis management programs and, and policies and procedures. You're, but you're applying or overlapping on top of that knowledge that you've built up over time about politically active communities that are maybe around your facility or that may be active nationally. I think many companies have some familiarity with community organizations different groups that have concerns about a particular facility they have or their operations. I think in this climate, the idea is, or in this setting, when there's such a focus on environmental justice, what Estella says is help companies identify sort of broader, more broadly, who those key stakeholders are. It may not just be people in, you know, surrounding the facility, there may be national organizations that are focused on particular issues that are touched upon by what you're planning to do. There may be new groups that have received funding 
through the federal government who's providing a lot of money to environmental justice communities. And all of those groups may be new. There may be new spokespeople for them. And knowing who they are, tracking what they're doing, and understanding how their issues and issues that may be raised at your particular facility or your company more broadly intersect. And I think just building out what Adara said, how do you know when something's an EJ event or a potential EJ event for your facility or operations, given that there's no specific definition? I think you have to take a broad approach. In the age of social media that we're in, you can see how a tweet or a post on an issue snowballs and it becomes something that's really significant for a company. So... Understanding that, monitoring social media, there's a variety of different software programs that you can use that will alert you to things in different areas is like a helpful way to understand if there's potential risk for something that you're doing or facilities that you have. Um, understanding what the local, state, or federal enforcement initiatives are. They may have a specific focus on an industry or a type of operation. Um, and how that intersects with the kind of fence-like communities that your facilities might have or the reach of your operations. So just keeping up to date on all of those kinds of things and those intersections, I think, will help you issue spot for when things will may rapidly develop into something that could be a crisis. I also think it's just keeping an ear out and being sensitive to the idea that what underlies environmental justice is the concept of equity. So as you're monitoring those social media communications, as you're hearing about, you know, community engagement or, or speaking out, what you're, what you're listening for is themes around equity and how that intersects with your own company's operations and, and communications. And, and when you start to, when it starts to move in that direction, you have at least potentially have environmental justice concerns arising and you want to bring your subject matter experts, you know, in and have them focus and have your team aware of that so you can appropriately monitor and track. Another way a cell helps, I think, can help mitigate those sort of extreme situations as part of that is for the company to consider what are our environmental justice goals? You know, it's not to say what they should be, but Think critically about what the goals, what each company will be different. It will depend on their operations. But, you know, are there goals that we can internally and or externally, that really depends, commit to and really measure our progress again, you know, so that when the time comes and you have an extreme event there, you have some data to show, here's what our goals are, here's our improvement, here's how we're working towards it to help mitigate kind of criticism. Lily, that is a great point. So when you say goals, I think it's important that people realize it, it's not just this amorphous large-scale goal, but also it can be very granular. Absolutely. It could be making sure that you communicate how you alert surrounding communities to incidents, particularly in extreme weather events. Are you providing alerts or alarms in multiple languages? If your fence-line communities speak different languages, are you making sure that they can understand. Those are all things I think that go towards environmental justice or equity issues, but haven't really been called that before, but are probably things that companies already been thinking about or slight tweaks they can make to incorporate those to show that they are considering equity. 
That is really helpful, Lily. Thank you for providing those examples. Well, Lily and Nadira, before I let you go today, are there any other final thoughts or practical tips that you want to share with listeners? Um, one of the things that's really on the forefront, and I think the federal government is still grappling with it, but some states have already started addressing it, is cumulative impacts to communities. So not just impacts from your own operations, but impacts from your surrounding industrial neighbors on a certain community and how you assess that and how you understand that risk. Because, you know, if three of you want a permit, but the government's looking at the cumulative impacts of all three of your operations, how are they going to decide that? The federal government has not come up with an overarching way to do that, but a state like New Jersey passed an environmental justice statute last year, which specifically directs their environmental agency to issue rulemaking on cumulative impacts, and they're in the process of doing that right now. So I think stay tuned on that. And Nadira, last thoughts you want to share today before I let you guys go? Sure. You know what? I think we've talked a lot today about risk mitigation and some of the areas of sensitivity that come up around environmental justice. But I think it's also really important to consider that environmental justice really is an opportunity for companies. And it's an opportunity as a litigator, I think about it first and foremost in the context of enforcement. You know, when government agencies speak so clearly about a priority in the way that they are right now, whether it be the federal government or state or local agencies, they're sticking their neck out and they're making it clear that this is a priority and that means they have deliverable. They need to demonstrate that they've you know, made progress in those areas. And that means on the enforcement side that there are opportunities to resolve matters even very challenging matters, even matters such as ones that Lily or I handle that are criminal matters when you focus on environmental justice. So I think it should, in addition to thinking about as a company, what can you do and the enhancements you can make, remember that it's an opportunity and it's an opportunity to think outside of the box and achieve perhaps a resolution or a more favorable resolution than you thought possible simply because you're able to make a change or deliver in an area, and it could be something very discreet, sharing data, making a small shift, something that sets a precedent from the perspective of the government, and that those changes may allow you to resolve a matter more quickly or more favorably. So I think that's important to remember as well. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Megan. It was a pleasure. Well, listeners, the Acellus materials, as well as other materials referenced today, are available through links in today's episode notes. We also are providing contact information for Lillian Nadira. I'm sure they'd be happy to chat with you if you have questions about Acellus or environmental justice issues generally. I'm Megan Birch. Thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you for listening to this BakerBots podcast. For more information on BakerBots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. For over 180 years, through 13 offices in nine countries, BakerBots has the experience, knowledge, 
and people to solve our clients' most significant legal issues. This presentation is provided by Baker Botts LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice. Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising.